Ah, oh, man. Happy Easter, everyone. My name is Scott Raines. I'm the campus pastor here. So good to be worshiping with you. Uh, when I found out that the Easter theme was going to be victorious, the image that immediately popped into my head was the image of a pep rally. And so big thanks to everyone who's helped kind of turn this into a high school at homecoming. <laughs> uh, Angie Rathman and her team with all the decorations, even inside the bathrooms, and then the pep band led by Jeremy and his awesome team there. And then how about the cheerleaders, Brent and Cheryl and a whole bunch of cheerleaders from this congregation. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm guessing, though, there's at least one person who, when this all started, was just like, what is going on? So I just want you to know... Um, we are a very Bible-based church, and the reason we've been doing everything that we've been doing today at the start of this service is because the Bible tells us to. Read this verse with me. This is Psalm 20, verse 5. Read it out loud with me. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. It's a little nervous when we thought about, let's, let's start off the Easter uh, service with cheerleaders we, we wanted to do it, but, you know, it's like the spirit is willing and the flesh is Lutheran. But we decided it's Easter, for goodness sakes. We're going to go for it. I mean, if lefty, if Phil Mickelson gets to jump up and down like that when he wins a golf tournament. And, and look at the people in the gallery. They, are, they could care less what they look like. They're celebrating a victory. And if the Chicago Cubs win the World Series for the first time in 108 years, you talk about it in your Christmas Eve message and you talk about it in your Easter message. Remember... Remember what they did earlier this week at Wrigley Field? They raised a victory banner. And so that's what we're going to do. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. It's Easter in this victory that Jesus wins for us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. It's a game changer. And so we want to talk about it today. What is, the, what is the victory that really has been won for us? And what does it mean to be people who worship a God who's victorious? What does it mean to be people who live a life that is victorious? We're going to try to dig into that a little bit today. We live in a part of the world where people care a great deal about winning, don't they? I drive up and down the interstate and on the back of some semis, they're wanting to recruit drivers to be part of their business. You'll say, join our winning team. Everyone wants to be part of a winning team. You drive up and down streets of whatever town you live in, and you'll see billboards for real estate agencies or banks or, or doctors or whatever. Join our winning team. Let our winning team take care of you, whatever the case might be. And it's true for school and for athletics, academics, uh, music. Everybody wants to be part of a winning team. One place where there's a whole lot of winning going on these days is Grandview University. I don't know what they have in the water down there, but they are like hashtag winning is, is their life. So whether it's football or wrestling or skeet shooting, their skeet shooting team won a national championship and they have winning facial hair. Look at the mustache on this guy. <laughs> that is a victorious swath of... Anyway, uh, Nick Mitchell is the head coach of the wrestling program at Grandview. When Nick and his wife, Rochelle, moved to Ankeny, it was about 10 years ago, they did not have a wrestling program at Grandview. His job was to start it from scratch, and now they're just coming off their sixth straight national championship. Uh, Nick and his wife and their kids, they worship here at Hope Ankeny. And so I asked Nick, would you talk to us a little bit from your perspective, what is winning all about? Take a look. I'm Nick Mitchell. I'm the head wrestling coach at Grandview University here in Des Moines, Iowa. We live here in Ankeny. I'm married to Rochelle. 
and we have two daughters, Brynn and Paige. I've been the wrestling coach there since 2008. 2008-2009 was the first year of the program, so I was actually the first coach ever hired there. Wrestling's been in my family my whole life. It's been around. I don't know why, but we're just a wrestling family. And so I started wrestling when I was in like first grade and started going to tournaments on the weekends and been doing it ever since. R wrestling is, it's really unique. You want to find out something about yourself, walk out on the wrestling mat and you're, you're going to know that I'm either prepared for this or I'm not. There was one weekend I saw a t-shirt and it said championship lifestyle. So I didn't coin the phrase. I'm somebody else smarter than me made it up, but like anything, I steal it and make it mine. And what I started telling our guys is, hey, you know, understand that if you live a championship lifestyle, it's going to make you better at everything that you do. The mindset that these guys have coming in with wrestling, usually they're really competitive and they're disciplined and, and they're really willing to do what it takes to be a successful wrestler. But a lot of those same guys are maybe okay with letting themselves off the hook when it comes to academics, social life, family life, faith life, and they need to understand it doesn't work like that. You can't be a hard worker in one part of your life and be lazy in four other parts of your life. And so, you know, that same mindset that they have in wrestling, they need to take in the classroom. And so that means every day in class, we're trying to win class. You know, if you, you get there, you sit in the front row, you talk to your teacher. If the teacher says, we're gonna take notes for an hour today, you win the notes. You be, take the best notes in the class. That's the mindset. There's two parts of that. One is being the best version of yourself, but the other part is the process because if, if you take that mindset into everything that you do, whether you accomplish the goal that you have set out for yourself or not, it's gonna make you better in every aspect of your life. And realistically, that's, that's really the main goal. There's a lot of talent out there, and there's a lot of people who can win national titles. There's a lot of people who can win a lot of wrestling matches, but people don't really care after a while. You know, those things wear off. And so the bigger part of this is when these guys leave, um, whether they won the title or not, we want this to, to carry with them. It was great talking with Nick. I mean, he is a coach through and through, just absolutely intense. About, about an hour that we talked, and at the end of it, I was like, man, you've won six straight national championships. I'm jacked. I'm ready to go. You think you can turn me into a champion wrestler? And he said, there's only one miracle maker, Scott, and it's not me. <laughs> Real nice. It's impressive, isn't it? to go from nothing and to win six straight national championships, and it's, that mindset is a big part of, of the reason behind it. Championship lifestyle. How do we develop champion wrestlers? Absolutely, that's a good thing, but even more importantly than that, the, there's this process. How do we become champions in every aspect of our life? And this is absolutely a biblical concept. Read this verse with me, Colossians 3.17. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Whatever you do or say... Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And in the original Greek that the New Testament writers used, it says, whatever you do or say, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it as a representative. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this championship lifestyle that Coach Mitchell and his staff are trying to instill into that program, how do you be a champion at school? How do you be a champion in terms of your social life? How do you be a champion on the mat? Everything you do, you're doing it as a representative of the program. You're doing it in the name of the program, the name of the university. There's a reason the name on the front of the jersey or singlet, as the case may be, it's not the name of the individual athlete. It's the name of the team or the name of the organization. You're doing this for something, not just for individual glory, 
for something larger than who you are. And this is true in every aspect of our life. If you're going to win at work, if you're going to win at home, if you're going to win in whatever organization you are a part of, you've you got to understand it's not just about the individual, it's about the whole. Parents do this in all sorts of ways, don't we? Kids go off maybe for a, a play date, or maybe they go to their first day, uh, first day at work, a job that they have, or maybe they're going to pick up a date for prom or something, and what will parents say? Don't forget who you are. You know, don't misrepresent the family name. Something similar about comes to a life of faith, too. Whatever you do or say, do it in the name. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. So this is our seventh Easter service. We had four yesterday, three today. It's just been amazing to see what God is doing. We don't typically have this many services. Uh, the reason we add services on Easter weekend is because about three times as many people show up for services Easter weekend as compared to a regular weekend. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Some of the reasons I don't necessarily understand, but some of the reasons I do understand, and, and maybe this is you. Uh, maybe you actually love to come to church. You, you love to worship. You love uh, Jesus. You love Bible. You love figuring out what does it be, mean to be a champion in terms of being a servant or being part of a community, that sort of thing. But maybe you've run into one too many Christians who misrepresent the name of Jesus. One too many Christians who come across in a real arrogant or judgmental, unkind, just kind of grumpy manner. And, and so you come to worship a handful of times a year. You come to Christmas, you come to Easter, and then you're like, I need a break from these Christians. I need a break from these church people because if, if the way they live and the way they treat people and the way that, if that's winning, then I would rather be a loser. So here's part of the good news for you this Easter. Jesus wants you to be a loser. Go ahead and turn to somebody close to you and just tell them that. Jesus wants you to be a loser. Don't tell him Jesus thinks you're a loser. That would not be true. That's a very different kind of understanding. Jesus wants you to be a loser. Some of you might be thinking, hey, if Jesus wants me to be a loser, Jesus is getting what he wants because I'm kind of losing it life these days. You ever find yourself in that kind of place? In, in, in this part of the world where people care so much about winning, it's easy to become convinced everybody else is winning and I'm losing. Regular rhythm of my week, Thursday, is sermon writing day, but it's Holy Week. And so, you know, it's Easter. I got to have a perfect sermon. And so I wanted to start a little bit earlier. So Wednesday afternoon, I sat down, start working on my Easter sermon, writing a win winning Easter sermon. And right as I'm getting holed up, everything kind of spread out at this coffee shop, I get a text from Wendy. And that's my wife. The minivan is dead. She's at a friend's house in West Des Moines, and her friend knows things about cars. I know nothing. And he says, it's the alternator. It's gone. You're going to need to take it to the shop. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. You knew I needed an illustration for my Easter sermon. Thank you for your provision. The Lord moves in mysterious ways. No, I didn't think that. <laughs> I thought, what a loser I am. I don't even have a car that's reliable for my wife and my six children. And I'm going to have to spend money. I love spending money. I hate spending money on cars. Some of you love spending money on cars, not me. And so I'm thinking, here's, I'm looking for the win in the situation. The win for me became, if I can get to the, the car to the shop without having to pay for a tow truck to get it there, that'll be a win. So Wendy's got the car battery charged as best she can in her girlfriend's garage. I show up. I'm going to drive the car from West Des Moines through the back streets to our mechanic kind of over on 2nd Avenue near Firestone. She's going to follow me, and we'll see how far we get. 
It's a great plan. So I get in the car, I start driving, and you could just feel the power leaving the vehicle with every block, right? The lights on the dashboard are flickering and flashing and then gone. And then I'm starting to sweat, like, what if, what if the car dies in the middle of a busy intersection? How embarrassing is that going to be? So I go to roll down the window to get a breathe. Not even enough power to roll down the window. I make it past uh, Beaverdale, through Beaverdale. I make it past the VA hospital, and there's this huge hill kind of going down to the intersection of MLK and Euclid. And I think, if the light stays green, Lord, I can get enough speed and I can coast across the, the river. I'm not going to be able to make it up the hill by the Chicago speakeasy, but, and sure enough, about halfway across the bridge, car completely dies. I slip it into neutral and coast into this deserted parking lot on the banks of the Des Moines River in Loserville. Now, let me be clear. Last night, someone came up to me after the service and said, hey, that's about two blocks from where I live. You calling where I live Loserville? No, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. But we find ourselves in Loserville in all sorts of ways, don't we? And especially since it seems like everybody else is winning. Coach Mitchell takes a program that's non-existent, and 10 years later, he's won six national championships. Ta-da! Major success. Your neighbor, they go for that promotion at work and they get it. Or maybe they quit their job. I'm just going to start my own company and ta-da, major success. Maybe you look at other people's marriages and you're like, look how happy they look in their marriage. They're, they're winning and I'm losing. Or look how great they are with their kids. They're winning as parents and I'm losing. Look how well manicured their lawn is. Look at, look at their bank account. Look at everybody else. They're winning and I'm losing. Jesus wants you to be a loser. There's probably a better way to say that. What I'm trying to get you to think about is this reality that, that with Jesus, Jesus almost always redefines the win. You start following after Jesus, looking how Jesus lives his life, almost always Jesus redefines the win. That losing, what everybody else thinks is losing, almost always with Jesus, he shows up and he turns it into a victory. Read this verse with me. This is Jesus talking with some of his buddies. Matthew 10, 39. Read it out loud with me. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So I'm sitting in my dead minivan on the banks of the Des Moines River, feeling like a loser, no clue what in the world I'm going to do next. And I decide I'm going to call one of the biggest winners in my life, Dan Froine, operations director here at Hope Ankeny. Dan will know what to do. And Dan says, oh, Scott, just call the mechanic. He's got this super battery pack. He'll let you borrow and it'll get your car to the shop. I'm like, a super battery pack? I've never heard of a super battery pack. So I go to the mechanic. Sure enough, here's a super battery pack. I take it back to the car and you kind of lay it down on top of the engine. And then it's got these clamps, kind of like jumper cables. You ever have to jump your car batteries? No. All seven services, nobody's ever had to because you're winners. You clamp it to the battery and miracle, resurrection, the dead car comes back to life just for a little while, long enough to get me to the shop where it's been repaired and everything is fine now. But it made me think about this verse. Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, if you lose your life and instead cling to me for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, that's when you find your life. Like Jesus is the super battery pack. That what it means to be people who are winning at life is to figure out what does it look like to be people who clamp ourselves to Jesus. He's our power source. He's the one who provides the victory. He's the one who gives us the life that we really want. 
if we continue to cling to our life or to cling to the world's definition of winning, more often than not, we're going to feel like we're losing, like we don't measure up. We don't have quite what it takes. When we're convinced we are losing at life, it leads to unhealthy and destructive behavior patterns in our life. It gets us to a place where we forget who we are and we begin to misrepresent the name of Jesus. And that's when we're really losing because that's when we stop loving. We've got this desire built inside of us. I think it's a God-given desire to win. The question is, who do we allow to define what winning looks like? Do we allow Jesus to be the one who defines for us what it looks like to win? It's a strange thing about Jesus, but you see it in that verse in Matthew 10. He says, losing equals winning. And it never feels like it at the time, but victory requires losing your life. Victory requires losing your life. That's what the cross represents. They arrest Jesus. They beat him. They spit on him. They mock him. They nail him to a cross, ridicule, humiliate him. He's just about ready to die. It looks like he is losing. But it turns out the cross is the way Jesus wins. The cross is Jesus' path to victory. What looks like it's going to be his greatest defeat ends up becoming his greatest triumph. Ever notice that's kind of how life works? Think about different times in your life where you failed, where there's been kind of a major loss, and then God shows up, and something happens, something changes, there's a transformation, there's a redemption story, and this loss, this failure, ends up leading to one of the greatest victories in your life. Nick Mitchell and the Grandview Vikings coming off six straight national championships. And along the way, Nick has had to learn to redefine the win. Take a look. Every year I'm part of this Leadership Academy. Last year I heard a coach talk about this, and it's from Corinthians you know, chapter 9, and it's talking about running the race, you know, running the race to win. And it's funny because it always had been like a favorite verse of mine, but it took another coach talking about it to help me understand what it meant. And maybe only one person gets the prize, but we all run to win. And to me, that's the, that's the whole point. We run to win with purpose in every step. I mean, it hit me hard this, this past summer when I heard that, and I was like, that is championship lifestyle right there, because not everybody wins the race. Not everybody wins the national title. Not everybody, quote unquote, wins, but we run with purpose in every step. And he's talking about every step, not just the steps that we like to run with. It's, it's every aspect of our lives. Was not the goal. The goal was to outfight them every single weight, and it didn't happen. The second year of our program, I remember at Nationals that year, we had high hopes for kind of how we would finish. And we had a round where we lost like seven or eight matches in a row. And I walked out of the building and was mad and shaking my head. And I looked over and I remember seeing Rochelle, my wife, and she walked through another door and she was crying. And, and I think part of it was like, we put so much work and so much effort into this and it's like, okay, is this going to happen? You know, is this, is this the right thing? And I remember us both being like, oh, this is, this is tough, you know, but that was kind of a turning point. It was a reminder for me, you know, I still have to put more work in, you still have to do the right things, but it was also a reminder that we're in this together and regardless of winning and losing, we're going to, we're going to be happy together and we're going to cry together and 
I'm in the men's group right now and we're doing the good and beautiful God and right now we're doing good and beautiful life. And the first chapter was all about chasing happiness. Happiness is surface, you know, it's something that feels good at the time. Winning makes you happy, you know, and there's no question about it. Losing makes me mad, winning makes me happy. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, but winning doesn't really leave me feeling fulfilled. That's the thing about winning that people find out um, when you're honest about it, when you win, you realize it wears off pretty quick. You know, and the more you win, the, the faster it wears off. When that's done, you really go back to being who you were before that competition. And I realized that right away that first year. Um, at that time, we just had one daughter, and it was Brynn, and she was not even a year old, I think, at the time. And we won our first national title, and I went home, and I still had to change her diapers, and I still had to take out the garbage, and, and, and it didn't matter. It didn't make me a better husband because we won. It didn't make me a better dad. I think there's a lot of people that get so hung up in the winning and losing that they think it's going to complete them. They think it's going to it's going to make everything better, and it doesn't, you know. And we try to let our guys know that don't hang everything on this because when you get there and you win, it's going to be awesome, and you're going to be proud of yourself, and your family's going to be proud. But if you think it's going to make your life that much better, you're going to be really disappointed when it's all said and done. Within my job, you know, I have a platform. And I, and I have an opportunity to make a huge difference in, in a lot of people's lives. And, you know, depending on how you look at that, it can be pressure or it can be, it can be a blessing. And for me, I'm just trying to be more and more of a difference maker, not just while they're at Grandview and not just um, after they graduate, but for eternity. You know, hopefully I can make, I can make a difference in, in those guys' lives forever. A lot of people in this room are a lot like Coach Mitchell. You are excellent at what you do. Excellent professionally, excellent students, excellent teachers, excellent parents. And you've experienced a lot of winning in your life. And part of what I appreciate about what Nick says there is all the winning that he's experienced, and it's great and he wants more. I said, six national championships wasn't the first one enough. No, I want more, I want more. I like winning, I hate losing. It's pretty simple. And I think it's the same is true for us, but he gets to a point where he realizes all those victories start to become pretty hollow unless you also have a mindset that says there's a way to win for eternity. So the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in a city called Corinth, talking about the victory of Easter, says, thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word for victory is nikos. The Greek goddess of victory is Nike. Nike. What's Nike's phrase? Let's all say it together. What's Nike's phrase? Let's all say it together. Yeah, and so many of us, that's kind of been the way we've made it through life. We have a plan, we have a goal, and we're just, we're just going to do it. Let's go, let's work hard, let's make sure we follow our plan, and, and we can do it. We can accomplish great things, and a lot of us have. It can be a winning strategy, but when it comes to a victory over sin, and over death, just do it as a losing strategy. It doesn't matter how excellent you are. It doesn't matter how hard you work, how hard you try. It doesn't matter how good you might get. You cannot. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power to defeat sin and to defeat death. Paul says this victory is ours not through what we do, but through what has been done for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus just did it. Out of incredible love for you and me, he conquered. And th this word, nikos, the Greek word for victory, it means to utterly vanquish, complete domination of the opponent. He has no rival. It's not even a competition. 
complete blowout, woodshed moment. Jesus is able to defeat sin. And so many people have a hard time believing that. It's like I got this sin in my life and it's just going to be with me for the rest of my life. It's, it's just part of who I am and it starts to become a little pet in my life. I just carry it around with me everywhere I go. And, and the victory of Easter says, no, that's not true. God's love is transformational power for you to change things, to make things different, to help you overcome victory over sin and death. Game on. Receive that love. Understand that love, the power of that love for you, and it's game on. Victory over sin, but then it's also victory over death. And I think for a lot of people, when you gather together for an Easter worship service, that's one of the big questions. You want to know, you need to know, is this victory of Easter really a victory over death? Because when someone you love dies, you find yourself in this place wondering, when or if or how you can ever get over it. Or when you're faced with your own death and you're wondering, is this it? Is this all there is? Is there a victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ? So I want to tell you a story, a story that's been pretty powerful in my life and in my wife's life to help get us to a place where we absolutely are convinced, we believe with everything in us that this victory is over sin and it's over death. It's an eternal victory. My wife, Wendy, and I, actually, I wanted her to tell the story. Uh, and she said, how many services are there? I said, just seven. She said, no way. I said, we'll make a video of it. It'll be great. We'll put you up on the big screen. She said, absolutely not. So this is Wendy's story. It's Wendy's story. But she's edited everything I'm going to say to make sure I get all the details right. Here's our family. We have five kids, and then number six is um, adopted. Ta-da, Saffron. That was us last Easter. And Wendy and I both have stories about how God worked in us to get us to a point to say yes to adopting Saffron. This is Wendy's story. Um, Part of the backstory is she and I had had one conversation about adopting. It was late in July 2011. We're like, yeah, that's probably something we should do. Eight days later, We found out about Saffron, and we had one week to make a decision, is this the little girl we're supposed to adopt? And so uh, Saffron's birth mom always struggled with addiction, and so when she became pregnant, needed to find a family to adopt the baby, and they found one, and the family was awesome, walked with birth mom through the entire pregnancy, put her up in an apartment, got her groceries, took her to doctor's appointments, made sure she was staying off drugs. And then when Saffron was born, they found out she had developed a virus at some point during the pregnancy, and she was really sick. And it's the kind of sickness that was going to mean major special needs and developmental issues and health issues down the road, huge spectrum of possibilities of what could happen, and most of them were not very good. And so we had to pray and discern and decide, are we supposed to say yes to the sick little girl in a NICU in Alabama? We had a week to make the decision. At some point in that week, Wendy took our five kids to Kirkendall Public Library here in Ankeny. And she was thinking, if we adopt this girl, we're going to have to come up with a name for her. Wendy has always loved the name Saffron. And all kinds of reasons behind that. Here's the one I want you to know about. Wendy's always read the story of uh, St. Valentine's to our kids every year, Valentine's Day. 
The story goes there's a priest in Rome. His name is Valentinus. And Valentinus, around the year 270 AD, he has uh, healing powers, both spiritual and physical healing powers. And so a local jailer brings his daughter, who is blind, to Valentinus, hoping Valentinus will be able to restore her sight. They talk about faith, they talk about God, they pray for her sight to be restored, but uh, she remains blind. But they develop a relationship. And St. Valentinus would take her out into the fields where he would dig roots and um, pick herbs that he would use for his medicinal purposes. And the little girl always would go out into the field and she would somehow find crocus flowers, always yellow crocus flowers that she would pick and she just loved them. Well, eventually, Valentinus got arrested for his faith in Jesus, and he gets thrown in jail, the same jail that the little girl's father, the jailer, runs. Valentinus, as his execution approaches, he writes a note, writes a card, puts a crocus flower inside it, gives it to the jailer, and says, give this to your little girl, the first Valentine's, right? She opens it up, the yellow crocus falls out, lands in her hand, her eyes are opened, her sight is restored, it's a miracle. It's the legend of St. Valentine. So the reason Wendy has always loved the name saffron is because saffron is a spice which comes from the stigma of a crocus flower, this orangish-red part of the flower. That's how the saffron spice is made. Saffron's the most expensive spice in the world, anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000 for a pound. It's just incredible. So Wendy, saffron has always represented the healing power of love. This name, Saffron, represents the healing power of love. So we knew this little baby that we adopted was going to be named Saffron. What about the middle name? That was a huge challenge because we made some silly rule at some point. We have five kids, right? We came up with this thing. All of our kids, their middle name needs to be one syllable and it has to start with the letter J. We have no idea how we landed on that rule, but for some reason we created that rule. Don't make rules if you're thinking about having big families. Don't make rules about how to name your kids. So we've got John and Joy and Joe and Job and Jude, and now we need one more one-syllable J name for this little girl. So Wendy's at the library with all the kids, and Hadley, who was 10 at the time, says, I'm going to go and I'm going to look in the children's section through baby name books. Off she goes. And in that moment, God spoke to Wendy. Not an audible voice. She says it was just like this idea filled her thoughts. This idea that we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, and that means what we believe should impact how we live our life. Well, what do we believe as Christians? We believe heaven is real. We believe there is an eternal life. We believe this life, this world, is not all there is. The here and now is not all there is. There's something more. There's something better. There's something greater. And if we really believe that, then saying yes and adopting a little girl, a sick little girl, we don't know how sick she might be, well, that would be an act of faith. And maybe even at a deeper level, it would be an act of victory. It would be saying we believe in something larger than us. And this something is really a someone who calls us often in our life to say yes to things that are really hard, to say yes to things that look like from maybe a worldly perspective, it looks like we're saying yes to losing. We're saying yes to pain, to suffering, to hardship, to trouble. But from a completely different kind of perspective, it's saying yes to victory, saying yes to a victory that lasts, a victory that endures, a victory that is eternal. And, and in that moment, Wendy knew in that deep sense of knowing that I think only God can give to someone, 
Wendy knew that this side of heaven, saffron might never be whole, but who cares? None of us are. Wendy knew in that moment, God promised her. God promised her, I will be with you. I will never leave you orphaned or abandoned. In that moment, God promised, he he wrote this promise across Wendy's heart, saffron will know victory. No matter how sick she might become, no matter how disabled she might be in the eyes of the world, saffron will know this victory over sin and death that's possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're on the other side of the cross. And on the other side of the cross, the tomb is empty. On the other side of the cross, losing often equals winning. On the other side of the cross, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a victory for saffron, but it's also a victory for you and for me and for the entire world. And I kid you not, in that moment, Hadley, 10-year-old Hadley, calls out across the library to Wendy, Hey, Mom, what do you think of Jane? Jane means victorious. Yeah, Jane means victorious. Saffron, Jane reigns. We don't spell it this way. But Saffron, Jane reigns is this beautiful and powerful and victorious name that's completely changed our life. And my prayer for all of you this Easter is that a beautiful and powerful and victorious name might change your life. The name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, who did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but he gave up his home in heaven. He gave up his divine privileges. He came to this earth out of love for the entire world, which means out of love for you. And Jesus lived with us and laughed with us and cried with us, and ultimately he went to the cross. He died a criminal's death on that cross so that you would know the power of his love and the power of his grace and the power of his victory that should change everything for us, that if we believe it, it should really impact the way we live our lives. And therefore, because Jesus was faithful with the job his father gave him to do, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, salvation for us is here. In the name of Jesus, healing happens. In the name of Jesus, sins are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, addictions can be overcome. In the name of Jesus, cultures can be taken down and new cultures can be built up. In the name of Jesus, everything can change. Broken relationships can be restored. In the name of Jesus, new life is possible and eternal life is available. And Jesus says, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. So he's here right now with us. And I don't know what victory you are in need of today. But I do know this. Jesus is victorious. He's already won the victory. And you can share in that victory too because of the strong, powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we love Easter. And we love to be reminded of the victory that has been won, the victory that is available for each of us. We all have places in our life where we're tired of the losing and we need your victory. 
So we pray that you would give us the faith to believe it. We pray that we would experience the reality of your love, and that would be a game changer for us. But we also know, Lord, when we gather together at Easter, that it's not just us as individuals who are in need of your victory. This world needs your victory. This world needs something new, something fresh, something life-giving. There's too much hate. There's too much violence. There's too much fear. And so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. And we know that often your will is done through us, through the church, through the body of Christ. So I thank you for everyone who's gathered here today, and I pray that they'd come back. Or if they live somewhere else, Lord, I pray that they would get activated into the life of their local church and that this victory parade could continue and that you would do your thing, God, and you would transform and change this world in Jesus' name. Amen.